Hello, it's Jody Blick. Welcome to the first episode of the Fighting for Joy podcast. As I said in the preview episode, I'm so excited about this podcast and each one of the episodes that I'm working on for you. But I was really looking forward to this first episode and introducing you to my husband, Eric. Eric and I met the very first day of college when we were just 18. He was from California coming to the Midwest to swim for Wheaton College, and I was a small-town girl from Nebraska, excited to live near Chicago and get a fresh start. And I really thought Eric was the funniest person I'd ever met, and he loved the Lord more than anybody I knew. We've been married now for almost 24 years. We have four kids, and we live back here in my hometown in Nebraska. Eric's a banker, and on the weekends, he leads our worship band at church. He plays the guitar, and he sings. Um, Before we start our conversation, I just wanted to share the two main reasons why I wanted Eric to be on this first episode. The first reason is because I seriously couldn't have gotten this podcast up and running without his support and encouragement. As I talked about and dreamed about this project over the last couple of years, Eric continually asked how he could help me and what I needed, and he bought me equipment. And most importantly, he's always reminding me of the ways that God could use something like this to encourage others. So he's going to be a major behind-the-scenes part of this project, and I hope to have him on a couple of times to cover various topics together. One of the things that we talked about in planning this first episode is how tempting it's going to be to want to share everything that we've learned and talk about all of the things, but today is just a good start. Um, Secondly, as I mentioned in the preview episode, this podcast will be full of stories, and I thought it was appropriate to go first with our story, and I wanted and honestly needed Eric to be here with me for that. So I want you as the listener to get to know me as your host and to get to know us a little bit as a family so you can better understand the why behind this podcast. So let's get started. Hi, Eric. Hey, how are you? Good. What do you think of that introduction? It was nice. I did not read it ahead of time, so I was uh, pleasantly surprised. And yes, I was there when we were 18 and we met. Yes. And uh, you did capture the uh, story well. So uh, Good. thanks for having me on. I'm I've been so looking glad forward to here. doing this. Yeah. Well, just to get started, I would love for you to just share a little bit about your thoughts about this podcast. Um, like I just said, you've been so encouraging. Um, what has excited you about getting it started? Yeah, so I think there's there's lots of topics on that one. I think number one is um, certainly we can uh, talk about grief, but I know the uh, vision of this uh, podcast is to go beyond grief and to get into other um, uh, topics as well. Um, but I think that when I first met you, um, you were the first person I met who could stop me in my tracks by asking questions. They were thoughtful. Um, you listened extremely well, and then before you moved on to the next question, which you already had many times, um, you interacted me with further questions on what you heard me say. And so I can remember back when we were dating, we were in the stoop, and I remember one of the first times sitting across from you thinking, I, I really think I could marry her, and this Aww. would be awesome. Um, but it had to do with how we could um, talk back and forth. And so, um, long answer. I think that, um, you having guests on the show, um, will just be a natural conversation of so many things that we're doing during the uh, course of the week. I think that you'll help your guests process well, as you ask them, uh, questions. I know that over these, these years, I have changed as a, a person, as you've caused me to think, and you've asked me things, um, and then, you know, thirdly, I think that um, 
having different people that you've connected with across social media, friends across country, other people that have had similar horrific stories like like ours, um, I think that I think that there can be some real um, help here. We've we've found some things um, that have been really helpful, and yeah. um, so I'm really looking forward to um, hearing who connects with your audience, who um, or your guests that you have on the uh, on the air. Um, yeah, me too. So yeah, me those too. are just a couple of the. Uh, of the uh, things I think when, when it's about help, um, you know, Monday morning is coming and it's very hard to get up for work on certain weeks just in the course of life. And when your son dies, you have to ask some real questions on why you're going to work and now what, and what do we do? And I think we've wrestled through, you know, some of those things. So I'm excited to, uh, talk about that as well as hear from your other guests, um, on ways in which they've they've been able to get real hope from God. Yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, babe. Yeah. Um, you and I talked a lot about just what the title of this podcast would be, um, talked about different options and different ideas, um, and settled on fighting for joy. Um, share a couple of your thoughts on that, on that idea of fighting for joy in this broken world. Yeah, I think... I I like it for lots of, for lots of different um, you know uh, reasons. I think that um, I I think that this idea of fighting for joy keeps me from being uh, phony, right? I mean, I I work at a bank that I've been there for eight eighteen years now, and so when Jackson died, so many of them knew him at a time, and certainly knew of our kids. Um, but then what do you do afterwards? You can't just be happy, clappy after he dies. You've got to be joyful, but that doesn't come easy. And there's a way to be joyful in the midst of tears. Yeah. Um, and so the fighting for joy concept is about not being phony. Um, there's a way to cry and to fight to remember and seek and search out those promises of God that really do have an impact on your life for joy. Yeah. So uh, that's, that's uh, one thought. The other um, thought is this, um, you know, it, it is a fight. It isn't a easy pathway to joy. It's not a, um, if I just don't do anything, I'll coast happiness. Um, our, our culture often tries to give us a buffet of entertainment on the way to a good, um, you know, steakhouse. And so, if you think of it like like that, we show up to get a really good steak and we're already full. We've already been mm-hmm. eating and we've already been snacking on so many things along the way and we've gotten french fries on the way there and we've gotten, you know, milk, uh, you know, shakes and and so when we are when we arrive where we're going to get the really good solid steak, we're not hungry. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a fight to um go against some of the even true but not helpful cliches on what happens after there's death. Um, how do you go through that? You can't entertain yourself to death. You can't work yourself to death. You can't exercise your, uh, you know, self to death. There's, there's no way out of this with just one single bullet. And I think the buffet of our uh, culture um, spoils our appetite on what is really helpful and what God says in his word, 
um, to help us get through. And it's likened to a steak. So come, come hungry and you got to fight and you got to look for it. That's good. That's helpful. Yeah. Cause one people, one thing that people have asked me and they've been really genuine is just why would pursuing joy be a fight? Like, why wouldn't you desperately right. just want joy? Yeah. And the honest answer, you know, especially early in grief was just sometimes, I mean, sometimes I wanted joy, but on the darkest days, it just sadness and tears. I mean, it just felt so much more appropriate. I mean, you and I talked about right. that many times. I mean, on better days, I wanted to find joy, but a lot of times it was for those around me because selfishly, I just kind of wanted to just keep deeply right. grieving our son. Right. And why wouldn't I just want to cry and cry? And I remember struggling with that first spring after Jackson died, just feeling like the cold, hard, long winter with all of the bare trees and the brown grass that just felt so yeah, much more appropriate than when spring came and there were budding trees and flowers and sunshine and new life. And so through wrestling stuff with stuff like this um, and God's continued healing and help and just honestly the passing of time too. Yeah. Um, I think we've both gotten more passionate about joy. We want it restored. Yeah. We want to fight for it. We understand the importance of it and how it can be found in the hope of Christ. And we desire it more and more in our home and in our lives. So, so like I right. said, thank yeah, you for your good. help and your encouragement. Oh, yeah this podcast, it means a lot. And I'm grateful we can work on this together. Me too. Um, so let's get a little bit into our story here. As we mentioned, um, this fight for joy is personal for us. Um, almost five years ago in 2013, our firstborn Jackson died at the age of 16. So let's try to work together to share a little bit of the story of what happened that day. Yeah. So, uh, he's, uh, he was our oldest of four kids. Um, what Grace? Uh, Let's was see. We were probably she was nine, nine at the time, um, about nine and a half. Turner was eleven, and Justine was fourteen and a half. Yeah, and it was June, so Justine would have gone into freshman year following, uh, you know, Jackson's death. So, um, so yeah, um, uh, Jackson was born on my uh, birthday. We had just celebrated his sixteenth birthday, and my however many old I was. <laughs> I don't even know. I think I was 41. Um, I must have been 41. Um, and um, it, no, I was 42. Uh, and it uh, it was something that we had, you know, celebrated birthdays every year since he was uh, born. Uh, couldn't believe you went into labor. Um, I know. And, you know, Well, April, that was actually his due date April was your birthday. And we were, we thought that was so funny. Which was, which was great. And so the we, chances? we uh, thought that was pretty special. So, we had just celebrated a fun uh, birthday together, and then we got um, some tip, some uh, uh, tickets for the uh, comic Brian, uh, uh, you know Regan. Um, he and I liked that a lot. He had found him on on uh, YouTube, and and uh, we had some other friends that had gone in and uh, you know seen him. And um, so the closest we could get to him was St. Uh, Louis. And so in um, late April, early May. Um, he and I just got in the car and spent the uh, weekend there, went to the uh, concert. Uh, he was running cross-country in the off-season, so we spent a fair amount of time downtown St. Louis running around the Arch, getting his you know miles in. And, and uh, we had just come off of that great trip. He then came back. We went to Adventureland as a, as a, a family. Then he went on the band trip, and it was the night that he came home from the band trip uh, Monday morning at uh, 4.30 in the morning or 3 o'clock in the, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, uh, 
a.m. And, um, uh, you know, we picked him up and then he came home and he still got his, yeah, his uh, miles in and texted coach. This was all on June, June 3rd. Um, and then uh, we went out to the lake and he and Turner and me helped uh, uh, grandpa put in the dock out at the lake and um, it's something we did every year the water was freezing he was uh, extra funny Turner loved it it was kind of one of his first big things where he had to do some heavy uh, you know lifting and and uh, so the uh, three of us just spent a few hours uh, putting together this whole dock we had family dinner and then uh, he went out with friends and um we didn't think anything of it. He had been driving at this point for a few months, couple months, mm-hmm. and um, didn't didn't think anything of it. And one thing led to another, and um, they made some bad choices. And uh, four boys were in Jackson's car, and him and three others, and uh, they were going way too fast and uh, went off the side of the road, and and uh, three of them died, and the fourth one. Um, somehow it's unbelievable that anybody walked away from that. And Jake did by no means walk away from that. He was in a a coma until after all the uh, funerals were over, but, um, he, he lived and, uh, I just had lunch with him. Um, uh, and we've obviously stayed very tight with the, uh, with, with him and his family. And, and, uh, that's a whole nother story for, for another day. But, um, yeah. Uh, short story long, we left him from um, having a great time at the lake and a family dinner um, to then not having him ever come home again. Mm-hmm. And then what do we do? And where does that 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 go? And so, um, yeah, that was that was that was a shocker. I don't yeah. know how else to say it. It was a yeah. shocker. And even five five years later, obviously we can we can talk about it. Um, I'm sure I'll cry during um, the recording tonight, but uh, it's 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 a brutal series of events that I remember and you remember vividly as if it happened yesterday. Uh, yeah. All the way through when we got the text, how we found out, who we heard it from, where our kids were, how his girlfriend, uh, Molly, uh, played into this and found out um, and had to break, break the news with her. And uh, it was unbelievable yeah yeah um so that's that's what happened on the day of and kind of where we left it yeah no that's that's good I mean it's it was all such a mess it's all such a traumatic uh series of events there's no perfect way to tell it or explain everything that happened and our goal isn't to tell all of the details it really is just to kind of give the big picture which is just that not only did Jackson die but two of his uh friends also died and um the trickle effects of yeah um that evening have just been um overwhelming yeah. and um like you said we've gotten comfortable with tears there's um there's really no way to tell it no, without being not, sad i mean no there's not so um yeah so that's that's kind of the uh the the first event of um, these yeah. last five years of just having our world turned upside down. And um, as Psalm 46 says, just feeling like the mountains were moved into the heart of the sea. Yeah, and right. Everything just um, crashed, changed and crumbled. crashed forever. And so, so that's um, kind of what uh, 
started our fight for joy. We definitely had had some harder things we'd had to deal yeah, with in our marriage right. and in our extended families and with our kids and friends. And um, I mean, there'd been a lot of difficulties that we had endured and uh, dealt with up until that point, but nothing at all um, like this that was just right. so terribly horrific and painful. And um, so... You know, for me, one of the things um, initially is I just felt like Jackson's death, this whole accident, losing other boys, um, the trickle effects of our community and the other friends um, that were involved in that night. I just, um, I remember using the word harsh. I don't know if you remember that. Yeah, I do remember that. Um, But I just, I felt like it was harsh. I just, um, and as a side note, I'm really grateful um, for the patience of everybody around me, that nobody tried to correct me. Yeah, right. Yeah, <laughs> um, that's that's well put. Yeah, because we used pretty raw language, and we just yeah. kind of said what we were thinking. Um, so I remember it feeling pretty harsh. Um, I wasn't mad at God. Um, I actually ran towards Him, and we both leaned yeah. into Him with all of our strength. And yeah. in both of our minds, I mean, there was nowhere else we wanted to run. Um, we still believed in His goodness. We knew and trusted the truths of scripture, but it was just such a big blow and literally heartbreaking. Like we literally felt pain, um, in our heart and over our whole bodies, like we'd never felt. Um, so how did it, I mean, I said that initially for me, it just kind of felt harsh and like just an extremely hard blow. What were some of your initial feelings or your gut reactions? So I think, I, I think, um, I think a couple of the uh, first thoughts were one, I, um, I'll this we can just give me some time. We can figure this out. We can get this this fixed. And this was really the first time in my life when you come you come face to face with something that can't be undone. It like um, you know if you get pulled over and you get a, a ticket. You wish it didn't happen, but you pay your fine and you kind of move on. And I'm not going to do that again. There is no way to bring Jackson back. And there's this, there's this, there's this final, you know, thud of that chapter closing, and it does doesn't ever open again. And that yeah. was just that was extremely hard. Yeah, it's a good way to say it. And I would say, you know, secondly, it was. Um, it was all right, Lord. We we um, we understand about this thing called faith. We understand that you're going to be with us through this. We don't know what that's going to look like, um, um, but in the meantime, you got to give me wisdom to help Jody and the other kids. And so there was this there was this really feeling, especially for the first couple of weeks, um, where I didn't exhale. Um, I just had to, I certainly cried, I certainly grieved, I certainly wept, but there was a a sense that I was always looking three moves ahead Mm. to make sure that you and the kids were um, as good as could be, and so I didn't really let myself grieve fully, I think, until kind of the weeks and months down the road. Yeah. Um, And so those are just some of the, just some of the initial thoughts. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, one of the things we've talked about is that it can be tempting in the midst of a traumatic event like this and grief and horrible circumstances to grieve over the grief Yeah. or to be sad about being sad or to be angry that we're angry. And um, this is one of the reasons we wanted to do this podcast was 
um, to share our story and to hear other people's stories. Um, but we just want to help prepare others for the difficulties of this broken world so that their burden wouldn't be any heavier than they, it needed to be. I mean, if we were absolutely shocked and asking why us, I think our grief would have been, I mean, it's hard to even imagine, but I think it would have been even more horrific. And yeah. so um, we did have a category of thinking before Jackson died of um, this world being broken, of bad things happening, of, um, you know, horrific things going wrong. Um, and so because we had that, we were definitely grieving and leaning into our grief um, but we weren't grieving about our grief. So yeah. can you just take a couple minutes to kind of explain that concept of grief over the grief? And did we learn that from Pastor Tim Keller, or where did we hear that? Yeah, that was from a sermon we listened to by uh, Keller. So one of the first things that we did um, was just just try to establish some kind of routine again. And so one thing you and I like to do is uh, run. And so we, I, I can remember running around Johnson Lake here in town, just wondering how we're going to take the next step and yeah. both of us listening to, you know, music and sermons and, and, uh, what does scripture teach on hope? Um, and, and that was kind of when we, we, uh, heard it that, um, if, if you're going to be totally surprised that you have no category of thinking about kids dying, then you're going to be sad that it happened to you, not just that your kid died. And yeah. yeah. And you're going to be, and it's, it's sad enough when your son dies, you got to deal with that. But if on top of that, you're dealing with my son died and it shouldn't have been my son. I've never done anything wrong. I, 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 why is this happening to me? Then, then you're wrestling with the, um, with a whole nother level of grief that you just don't have energy for. Yeah. So that's that, so to the extent that you can kind of you know plan that bad things happen, and I think that's that's obviously one of the major things that that I've learned through this, mm-hmm. um, you know, through this as well. Yeah, and I think we also learned um, that even with a strong faith and even with a good grasp of. Uh, yeah. this broken world and that this world isn't all that there is and there's hope beyond this and all of those things, um, grief is still brutal and it, it doesn't make it any easier to lose your son because you're a Christian. Yeah. I, um, I was, um, on the back deck on June 4th, could have even been June, uh, 3rd still. No, it was the uh, 4th. Um, and David Guthrie's quote that, you found somehow um, was, I thought because I had faith, my child dying would hurt not as bad. Yeah. And I, I, was, I was so helped by that because, I mean, we love Christ and we know his word and it didn't make it hurt less and yeah. that's okay. Yeah. And that's, that was some of the light bulb moments yeah. we got. That was helpful to yeah. know that it wasn't hurting this much because we didn't have enough faith. It was hurting this much because our son died and death is an enemy and this is not the way things are supposed to be. Yeah. Um, So kind of switching topics to our kids, um, this is definitely us sharing our story as parents and our kids can share their stories and their time and they have different perspectives as siblings and they've had their own really hard struggles because of Jackson's death. But I mentioned them and I want to talk about them for a second because um, immediately, I mean, even when we were still at the hospital that night, one of my biggest concerns was for our three other kids. I was just 
so sad for them and so worried for them. And like we said, Jackson was our oldest, so he was 16. Justine was 14 and a half. Turner was 11. Grace, nine and a half. And I just remembered wondering if they would ever be happy again yeah. and if they would run from God or see him as untrustworthy or become bitter. Um, and I also began living with a whole new fear for their safety and feeling like we're going to lose them too. And as a mom, I just wondered if I could ever pull it to, uh, together again to be the kind of mom that they needed and they wanted. And so a big motivation for me in fighting for joy was them initially. Um, they had lost yeah. their brother and yeah. I didn't want them to also lose their mom. I knew that I'd be a different mom and you'd be a different dad and maybe I'd even be a sadder mom. But yeah. from the very beginning of grief, I just begged and begged God to enable me to actually be a better mom because of all of this. And I just remember thinking that I wanted to learn everything I could from this suffering and this grief and this loss to pour into them and actually to pour into you too, Eric. And yeah. I know you have done the same for the kids and me too. And so now as we're approaching the five-year mark, um, God is getting me to a place where by his grace, I'm even asking him to use me in the lives of other hurting people too. And I've always thought that the most beautiful people were the ones who had gone through really hard experiences and yeah. still clung to the Lord. Yeah. And not, and, and not faked it and yeah. not try to say it yeah. wasn't hard or that God somehow has silver linings and everything. Right. I yeah. mean, people yeah. that really wept hard through hard stuff and somehow still found the Savior beautiful. Yeah. Right? Right. Yeah. So there is a beauty there. I hate these circumstances. Yeah. I hate that we're thrown into this. But that's kind of where I'm at now is just gradually shifting to desiring this kind of beauty for our kids and having hope that God can do this in our kids. Um, yeah. So let's let's uh, yeah. talk about our kids. I. I uh, went back today and looked through our notes. Um, do you remember uh, when we first got counseling? It was uh, in the fall, so it was maybe September. Yeah, so it was September, um, and um, you remember that I wasn't wild about it. I, right. I didn't really um, think we needed it. I didn't think I wanted it. Um I'm sure it was my pride that I had good answers from faith and I didn't want some other lady to tell me stuff. Um, the first counselor we went to wasn't so helpful, and then I was ready to be done, and you said, no, let's just go one more time. Um, and so we did. We found a gal in um, uh, here in Omaha um, that has just been extremely helpful, and I thought it was six months or a year when we met Claire, but it was, it was only a few months. It was only a matter of months yeah. after Jackson died. Yeah. And I went back today and I looked at our notes and one of the very first questions we asked was, um, we don't know very much about grief, but we know if you run from it and bury it, it will go bad for you in years down the road how do we keep that from happening with our kids? Yeah. I mean, that was... Yeah, that was a huge question for us. That was a us. huge question. We felt like we're going to somehow cry through this and keep running to the Lord. It's going to be messy. We don't know what uh, we're doing. But how are we going to help our kids? Because if they don't process it, it's going to come and bite them later. Well, and if we can't figure out exactly what we're supposed to be doing at 42, how can they at yeah. these ages <laughs> that they were at? Yeah, so... So five five years later, it was helpful for me to look back at those at those notes to to just answer the uh, question: 
how bad off was I? Yeah. How yeah. How bad did this hurt? And five years later, things look more clear, and you're going to get some, I think, good insights from us on what's been helpful and what hasn't helped. Um, but man, listen to a few things that we had a few months in. Um, uh, we still had Jackson's door closed, mm-hmm. right? Turner mm-hmm. and uh, Jackson... Um, had just had separate rooms built, and so uh, Turner's room was next door to Jackson's, and Jackson's room was still cl- mm-hmm. his door was closed. Yeah, I wanted to keep his smell in there. Yeah, and um, we still had not written any thank you notes um, for the scholarship money and the gifts. Um, we still had not picked out a tombstone. Which at that point in time, you know, six months felt like a long time, and we just got that done before five years. Um, we had a lot of fear that what's going to happen to our other kids. Um, we had grief just come out of nowhere when we're having a decent day and all of a sudden grief comes out of nowhere and the room literally closes in on you. And what used to be fun to be with Mm -hmm. people, Mm -hmm. we couldn't get out of the room fast enough. And so we had this kind of weird, like, where'd that come from grief? Um, we had our kids, they didn't want to talk about it. They, they right. didn't want to process like right. this through, well, how are you feeling today about grief, <laughs> right? right. Um, we, we, you especially, had, uh, had a lot of journal pages full of what happened on what minute of every part of the night. And you had a lot of why questions and what happened first and then who mm-hmm. was there and then where did the car go and then did they go to the uh, tennis courts first and then did they, was the basketball game over and when was half app supposed to happen? And there was this whole sequence that was really, really hard to get to get our uh, heads around. We had the fear of thinking that our next kid's going to die and mm-hmm. the next text you're going to get in is like, oh, like something right. really bad's happened. We couldn't hardly let the kids go on a four-wheeler or other types of events at the uh, start. It was just, it was just killing us. Um, and then, and then of course we had all the uh, first coming up Jackson's birthday, first Christmas without him. Um, and then we had this whole thing where the insurance company after the wreck hadn't paid out yet. Um, they, there was a whole insurance piece on this one too. And so we had all that cloud hanging over us as well. And it was ugly. And so I feel, I feel like, uh, Looking back at it now on how far we've come, I think that's helpful. But I also want to remind people, you know, uh, listening that um, what they're hearing tonight is not out of the first six months. Right. It's reflection on the first right. <laughs> number of months, and um, and yeah. and we were we were in a bad in a bad place. Yeah, and some days we still are. I mean, I, that, I, I think you and I can both. I mean, we could do a whole podcast just on the benefits of counseling um, yeah. because it really has been one of the most helpful things, especially for me. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) I think you kind of reluctantly, yeah, joined in. Um, but it, it was helpful to me. It was helpful, especially in regards to the kids. And, um, I, I mean, like I said, I was just worried about grieving well for the kids and making sure that they were grieving well and what that looks like. And I just love, um, our counselor's insight into how the kids were viewing our grief. I mean, she helped us to see that our kids didn't even have a category for grief like this. So they're just going to be watching and learning for now. I mean, when this was five years ago that she just said, they'll be watching, they'll be learning and their deeper grief will come later. And, and it has. And, um, but at that time, I mean, they were just watching and learning and 
wanting anything normal that we right. could possibly do that we usually did. And um, we were just the window that they had to look into how to process the brokenness of this world. And that was a lot of pressure at times, but I knew it was true and it was helpful to get help and to get counseling. And um, it became a good, helpful motivation to press on and to grieve progressively. Yeah, um, She helped us to see that, you know, we don't move on, we move forward and um, so yeah, counseling has definitely, and I'm thankful for all those notes you took because it is helpful to look back. I mean, there are days that it just feels like, oh, it just feels like all of this happened yesterday. Um, it feels really raw at times still, and it's it helpful to look back on it all does. of that and to yeah. hear how far we have come and some of the huge, um, huge things we were dealing with then, and they're different now. Um, but I do feel like um, God is helping us to move on progressively. Yeah. Um, one thing that I wanted to make sure we touched on was the grief retreat yeah, that you and I, I attended. I've got a couple um, notes on that. Yeah. During that first year of grief, so yeah. Jackson died in June. We, um, uh, Eric has a lot of books in his office. Uh, we both have uh, loved to read, and um, I think it was the very next morning after Jackson died, I just went into his office and thought, "What in the world do we have on grief? What book might we have in this?" huge library of books um, that would be helpful. And that's when I found Nancy Guthrie's book that I had done. It was a Bible study that I had done at our church um, called Holding On to Hope. And I thought, oh, I think this lady has lost a couple kids herself. And so I pulled that book off and just read the whole thing that day. I'm so glad (laughs) you did. Yeah, right. Um, And so then that's, you know, was so helpful that I thought, what else does she have that I could read? Um, and so I went on her website and the first thing that popped up was, um, a grief retreat that she and her husband, David put on twice a year for grieving parents. So can you kind of just tell everybody a kind of a quick rundown of what that retreat entails and how, how that all went for us? Yeah. So there was, uh, you, uh, um, you apply online, um, there was 10 other couples plus us and the 12th couple was David and Nancy and it was at a retreat center, um, just outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And, um, I can remember walking into that retreat center, um, and they had a eight by 10 framed of each of the kids that had died. So, um, there were kids that had died at birth all the way up to, um, college age and that was probably the oldest right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and and we uh, they were all pretty raw in grief too and and looking back I felt like I had already been a long time in grief um but man five years into this thing now I look back and be like wow it feels like I went like a month after it all happened um so we got to spend the weekend with, uh, grieving families, um, led by a family, um, that was 10 years down the road further than us and continued to somehow call God good. Mm -hmm. And it, it was, it was helpful to see that there is a path here and, people make it. And, uh, that, that was, that was helpful. As hard as it was for me to hear all the uh, stories, every family got 20 minutes on the clock to tell exactly what happened on each of their kids dying from the husband's perspective and the wife's perspective. Mm -hmm. And I about wanted to claw my eyes out. Mm -hmm. I had the worst headache. Mm -hmm. It was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, and I know that was one of the most helpful parts for you. 
It um, was. It just connecting with other grieving parents. Man, I, that grief was hard. and losing a child is just it's so lonely. Um and so to be in a room where everybody was in a similar situation, feeling the same pain, feeling the same grief and sadness um, was just weirdly comforting. Um, and I think a lot of the women felt that way. I think a lot yeah. of the men were really um, struggling. But um, man, I think when people ask me what have what a couple of the things are that have been the most helpful to me in grief, I always list the grief retreat as one of the top yeah. Uh, resources, um, one of the ways that we were helped the most. So if if you do know of somebody, it, it you do need to be a married couple um, uh, who has lost a child that you can go on nancyguthrie.com and yeah. um, find out information. It Highly was so helpful. Worth it. Yeah. yeah. What are a couple of the takeaways that you... Yeah. So I actually wrote down three. There's uh, tons more. I kept a journal for the weekend. and um, But... Um, First one is from her husband, David. He turned to me at one point in time between uh, sections of the uh, weekend, and, and he he's just said, up until our child died, I was always able to make Nancy stop crying. Hmm. And now there is nothing that I can do to keep her from crying, and that's okay. And I, I just remember how freeing that that that, that was. That um, really, up until that point in time, I could, I could, you know, listen to you, and that would help. Um, I could offer advice, and that could help. I could, I could just cry with you, and that would stop the tears. Mm-hmm. Um, nothing I could do could stop them, but that wasn't bad. And so the great quote out of the weekend was, "Tears are not the enemy." And they said it over and over again. I thought that was uh, helpful. And then I, we were both sitting with uh, you know Nancy later, and I said, I, I'm I'm really helped by that. I think this is helpful. But if tears are not the enemy, what is? Um, do you remember what she said? Yeah, she said the two enemies to fight are bitterness and despondency. Yeah, so that really crystallized it for for me that um, it's okay to let to, to let Jody cry. It's okay for me to cry. That's not bad. Yeah. What's bad is if I give up or if I see Jody give up and she's despondent or if she's absolutely so bitter. And believe me, there are so many different fronts you can be bitter about. Mm-hmm. Um, those two are the enemies of getting through grief. It's not tears. And so that was that was hugely helpful. Um, you know, the other one was that... Um, everybody's going to take a different pathway out of grief, right? She talked about her and David grieving differently over the same child, and obviously that's what we experienced too. Um, And then Tim Keller in his book, um, Walking with God Through Pain and uh, Suffering, says it like like this. There's there's basically a finite or call it a hundred different ways to get into excruciating grief. It could be natural disaster, it could be school shootings, it could be kids dying in car wrecks. There's a finite number to get into grief, and everyone gets in one of those ways. But there's an infinite number on how to get out, and you can only get out one of those ways. Meaning that everyone is wired so differently that we need a loving, good creator who created us as unique as the next snowflake, there's only one way to get out of grief for Eric. It's not Jody's way. 
and I don't even know what it is, I need to be led out of it. And mm-hmm. what's helpful for me is not necessarily going to be helpful for the next person. There's going to be principles that are definitely going to uh, span, but there's a finite number of ways to get into grief and an infinite number of paths to get out, but only one's going to work uh, for you, and that's why you need help. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I that's thought that, really was good. A, yeah. that was really helpful as uh, well. Yeah, that's very helpful. That's very helpful. Well, there's so many more things I want to talk about, um, but I do want to just start to kind of wrap it up by talking about um, a few of the main things that we've learned in grief. Yeah. Um, why don't you just share a couple of the main, main things that you've learned these last five years? Yeah, so I think from Claire, our uh, counselor, uh, one of the things I remember from the very first session, and she came back to it uh, you know, again and again for me, is that um, grief is normal, and it's nonlinear, and it's a roller coaster. You just got to put your seatbelt on. You have no idea where this is going to go and just let it ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there was, there was lots in there. Number one, I'm not weird for um, day four into this, not being over it, right? And then running out of uh, sick days at, at, at an office the way our Western culture is and then have to go back to work and have to pretend everything's fine. Uh, grief is not linear. It's not like you're making progress every day. Uh, it's going to be an ugly roller coaster with your eyes closed and you don't know where the next turn is and you're just going to have to lean into it. And the more you lean into it and you don't run, the faster you'll get through it. And mm-hmm. that was just, that was just really helpful from her from the uh, get get go. And so then what does leaning into it look like, right? It's um, crying when you're feeling like crying. Don't hold back the tears, right? It's um, um, not being able to go full throttle at an event that you normally would have at a Christmas party or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's just leaning into where you are and it's okay for now. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, we could, we could, we could just talk a whole, whole bunch of topics on that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, secondly, I think what's been, what's been really helpful is, is that you? Is it? Um, it's been a quest to find real hope, not hope that uh, my team wins the Final Four in basketball, but real hope that you can bank on. That's um, really, really true. There's a there's a way to get through the uh, the uh, Apostle Paul says there's a way to get through grief um, with tears as people with hope. You you can't get through grief without hope. And you can't pretend you're not grieving and just go right to hope or not have any hope at all. Mm-hmm. They come together at the same time. And so, um, and so what, what is our hope, you know, built on? And um, that's when, for me, kind of, you know, looking back today, it's, it's uh, really based on three, three things. Um, and this is, this is where I think the Bible's helpful. The Bible's unique um, we're not the first religion to wrestle with what happens when suffering happens, mm-hmm. but the Bible is <laughs> offers a unique answer that the other religions of the world just don't offer a satisfying response to. Um, and and so here's here's kind of the uh, you know when 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 you look at the big questions of life, you know uh, why am I here? 
uh, every religion answers that. Um, how did here get here, right? How, so we are here today. How did it? How did we get here? Then you have to ask the question: How did here break? How did the world break? And Scripture has unique and real and raw responses to that. It's got interesting answers to the question: How do we fix it? Mm-hmm. And then the fifth one is: Where are we going? Like, what happens after death? And so every religion really wrestles with these five major uh, questions. Um, but you know, we've 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 found the Bible to be most. Um, helpful and truthful and real mm-hmm. in walking through this. So Ernest Becker uh, wrote a book called The Denial of Death. It's one of our quotes we really like. Um, I think that taking life seriously means something like this, that whatever man does on this planet has to be done in the lived truth of the terror of creation, of the rumble of panic underneath everything, otherwise it is false. And so that's that's kind of the fighting for joy piece that you've got to do it in such a way that you're not pretending that it doesn't hurt or that pretending that I'll see Jackson again someday soon or everything's going to be fine because I got faith. You got this rumble of panic underneath and and um, Christianity answers these five questions with that rumble of panic really loud in your ears. Mm. Um, and so I've, I've, uh, I've, I've found that to be helpful as I know you have. And mm-hmm. so here's the uh, three that, that, uh, really, you know, uh, scripture pulls from number one. Um, so why did Jackson die? Genesis three shows us a broken world. This is not the way it's supposed to be. So boys make bad decisions in cars and die. And that's painful. And Genesis 3 could have stopped at Genesis 3, and we couldn't have gotten the rest of Scripture. We could have been separated from God because of the Garden of Eden and of disobeying of Adam and Eve, Eden of the uh, tree. Um, and that's where the world got broken, and look at all these different things that can break, and that's what happened. Um, but God didn't give up on the world. Um, he so loved the world, and he wrote the rest of Scripture, right? Uh, number mm-hmm. two... Um, Scripture really has this uh, belief and that there is this real and future and material world coming one day that has a judgment day in, uh, with it. So the judgment day piece means that there's we don't have to be passive and we don't have to take vengeance out in this world. Um, and that if this world is not the way it's supposed to be, there is a real material world better than the Garden of Eden where we will live in the city not made by hands, um, and we will, we will be in the presence of the Lord, and we will worship Him for that's what we were made for. And so that's, that's, um, that's a rock-solid place for our hope. And then uh, thirdly, Scripture offers a God that has wounds. Christ, Christ uh, doesn't enter in in Genesis chapter 4 in the first book of the Bible. He enters in chapters and chapters and books and couple thousand years later, um, not to understand our pain as human theoretically, but understand it by becoming flesh. Um, and so you, 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 you have this person that has walked as a, as the perfect God, man, he has walked on this earth and he knows what it is like to experience immense loss Hmm. and betrayal. And he knows firsthand how to get me out of and through grief. 
because he did it. That's yeah. I mean, so I, I, I find the answers of those five questions that all religions ask and we ask as human beings because that's how we're wired. I find them best answered here. And those are just three of the ways that that uh, we've we've been able to run to Scripture for help for a rock-solid hope. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's good. I mean, preach it, right? I mean, yeah. they just basically gave a little sermon, so that's good. <laughs> no, I think that's a good way, a good way to yeah. end, a good place to end. That is where our hope lies, and um, yeah, our love for Scripture has definitely deepened as we've clung to the truths there. Yeah. In just a, a desperate way. Um, that's good. Thanks, Eric. Well, yeah. let's let's wrap up um, with our with the podcast calling called uh, "Fighting for Joy." I'm going to um, have a few questions that I'll pick and choose from to ask each of my guests at the end of each episode. So for you, Eric, I have three. Um, the first one is um, who or what inspires you? Um, it can be in your day to day living or even this deeper fight for joy that we've been talking about. Yeah, so that's good. I think um, there's lots of answers to this. I mean, I love uh, stories, and I love seeing the way that um, um, people with deep character like yourself make it through really, really hard times, and I get to see it up close and personal. So obviously that's that's uh, top on the list, the way that, um, that you can actually see God giving you hope. Um, you know, I think another thing is that, you know, work for us is a vocation. It is a calling from the Lord, even if you're not a full-time pastor, and in my case, a full-time banker. Um, that That is a calling on the Lord to do good for the community in which he's planted us. That as you know, Martin Luther says, uh, the, the, the um, you know, milkmaid is God's hands to feed milk to all of his people. Um, and that's really what, uh, you know, uh, banking is and what our work is, we are called as a vocation. And so our work is not just something to pay the bills and to get through it so we can grieve later. Um, it's a really a, a calling from God. Yeah. Yeah. I see that in you. Yeah. Um, grief has changed us both in a lot of ways, but why don't you share one way that you feel like you're different because of what we're walked through, hmm. what we've walked through? Yeah. I've, I've, I've put down, uh, one, one, one for the good, one for the bad. Yeah. Um, you know, I think, I think on the good side, I think, I think I pause more and I realize the world is more broken than what I thought it was. And I realize that as deeply as I have hurt for Jackson and for you and for the rest of the uh, kids, um, and as much as that has broken my own heart, I don't have a corner on grief. And the people around me are walking through some pretty icky stuff as well. And I need to... stop and put myself in their shoes more and think what that feels like. And I, and I feel like I've, like I've been stopped in my tracks so many times. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite things about my job at the bank is to do branch manager roundtables where we just sit down with branch, you know, managers and groups of 10. And as you look around the uh, table, you know, I'm not the only one around that table that came to work today with a heavy heart. Mm-hmm. And so what do you yeah. do? Um, so I think, I think that's I think that's been good. I think the part that's been been hard is that you know I I, I have been smacked pretty hard and I don't dream the same way um, either physically or you know metaphorically speaking. Yeah. Um, my dreams physically are whacked and um, thinking about the future and getting excited about uh, what could be is 
different now. Um, it's much more real and thought of differently, and um, it's not as naive as it uh, you know used to be. Yeah, yeah. And you know, doing this podcast, um, one of the things we talked about on the preview episode is that um, we both recharge um, by listening to podcasts. Yeah. Um, right. So what? What's a, another way or a couple ways that you recharge? So I wrote down uh, a couple here. Number one, I think um, I really enjoy getting up early and thinking and listening and listening to music and reading and praying and maybe writing some you know music or kind of you know riffing off of other songs that have been written. Um, uh, and just see where the, where the thinking goes. Um, and that means I got to get to bed early cause otherwise I won't get up early and be able to think well. And that includes kind of rhythm for the week. I think being able to have times of the week, six days to work extremely hard and to be exhausted, including running and exercise since we're body and we're also soul, um, means that we uh, rest hard and being in that cycle of hard work and hard rest, I, I think has been, has been helpful. And then, you know, lastly, I did, you know, mention steak, um, <laughs> steak dinner with wine and friends to have deep conversation like this. That's, I can go a long way on that one. And, um, that could be eggs, um, and steak, uh, with coffee over breakfast. Um, some of the most helpful times during grief have been over a food table of some sort um, mm -hmm. with just people there to listen, not to give some silver bullet or try to come up with an answer or try to fix me, just to love me and say, I get it. I hear you. That's hard. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I can go a long way on that. Yeah, we both can. Yeah, definitely a, a great way to recharge and um, so yeah, this was fun, yeah, Eric. This was fun. Yeah. I mean, the plan with this podcast really is just to kind of learn as we go. Yeah. We, um, Eric was a big encourager for me and just saying, don't have it be all or nothing. I mean, just get going, just jump yeah. in, get started, learn as we go. It might be messy. It might be full of mistakes, but let's just get going. So that's what we did with this first episode though. Thanks for being my first guest. And, um, but more importantly, just thanks for helping me to get this podcast started and and for walking so tenderly with me in grief and being willing to share all of this um, today. <laughs>